If you've got your uh, Bibles this morning, I'm going to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 26. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 26. Over the last couple of weeks, we've been talking about the suffering servant out of Isaiah, chapters number 52 into chapter 53. But I'm going to ask you this morning to turn with me to Matthew, chapter number 26. We're going to begin reading uh, when we get there at verse number 36, Matthew 26, 36. And while you're turning there, I want to read to you a passage out of Isaiah chapter number 53. The Bible records in Isaiah 53, verse number 3, that he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. As we lead up to this Easter season, this morning we gather to take or partake of the Lord's Supper, communion together, where God's people gather together to participate in and remember the Lord's death, the Lord's burial, and the Lord's resurrection. Well, I, I begin to ask, what, why is God leading you over to Matthew 20? Six. Well, I believe we begin to see a picture of what we just read in Isaiah 53 a little closer to home, a little closer to when it happened. As a matter of fact, this is the night before Jesus died. So we've been, we were talking about that suffering servant, and today I want to show you a picture of the suffering servant in Gethsemane. I want to read you just a few verses out of Matthew 26. I'm going to begin at verse number 36. The Bible records these words, Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane, and saith unto the disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee, and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. Then saith he unto them, My soul is exceeding sorrowful, even unto death. Tarry ye here and watch with me. And he went a little further and fell on his face and prayed, saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, and I'm going to tell you what, church, I thank God for that nevertheless. We're, we're here today because of that nevertheless. And, and listen what he says. Not as I will, but as thou Let's pray. Father, we love you. We love your word. And God, help us to see what you're wanting to show us this morning before we take of this remembrance supper together. God, help us to get what you want us to get. And Father, help us to be who you want us to be. And Lord, we'll praise you and thank you for it. In Jesus' name. Amen. By the light of the moon, Jesus 
led his disciples to this garden called Gethsemane. They had to cross a brook to get there. It was called the Brook Kidron. And it was located at the bottom of a hill from the temple complex. And if you'll remember, this was a time of year called Passover. Now in our modern day mind, with our modern day sensibilities, it's hard to understand and get a picture of what was going on in the temple complex as Jesus gathered with his disciples as, at this time of the year. Well, I don't really know the exact distance that it was, but it was probably a couple of hundred yards from the temple complex up on this mountain down a hill into this brook called Kidron. And as they gathered for Passover, they were slaughtering animals for those yearly sacrifices that they made. And the slaughter was so great, they literally sacrificed so many animals that that brook would run red with the blood of those animals that had drained 200. Now, you got to start getting a lot of blood before to make it 200 yards without soaking into the ground. But that brook would run red with the blood of those animals that had been sacrificed during the Passover uh, ceremonies. Well, just across from the Brook Kidron, there was this garden called Gethsemane. No doubt a lot of people went there to get away from what was going on at the temple complex during this time of year. It was up on another hill. and It would have been shaded. Gethsemane literally uh, translated means uh, the place of the, the press or the, the place of the oil press. It was uh, probably an olive garden where they would take those olives and they would crush those olives uh, to make uh, uh, olive oil and, and all that they made out of that. They burnt those in their lamps and different things. But it means to press, pressure. Uh, and Jesus went to this place uh, of pressure, this place where he was pressed or compressed and people would go out there so they could have a respite from all of the horrible things that were going on uh, in the temple complex during that time of year. It was necessary for them to do this but it wouldn't have been an easy thing to watch. So they went there to get away. Well Judas Iscariot, he knew quite well where it was. It was a place where Jesus and the disciples met on many occasions. Uh, but it's no accident that they met at the place of the pressure or the press. Uh, Revelation chapter 19, verse number 15, the Bible tells us that out of his mouth goeth the sharp sword that with it he should smite the nations and he shall rule them with a rod of iron. And he treadeth the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And when Jesus went to this place of the press, this place of the pressure, he was in that place where he was going to experience the fierceness and the wrath of Almighty God. And he did that for you and me. And I say praise the Lord for that. So late this night he goes there uh, where he himself would be crushed like an olive. And the oil of salvation would then begin to flow. And you and I could be here this morning because Jesus was willing to do that and because of that nevertheless. So we followed the Lord Jesus into that garden. Remember when we first gathered this morning, I began to pray and I said that we're standing on holy ground. Well, in a sense, when we 
in our imaginations now, but through the word of God, follow Jesus into that garden of Gethsemane. It's a holy place. It's a place that almost goes beyond what our imagination is, is able to uh, comprehend. Uh, it's such a beautiful scene filled with the meaning of the gospel uh, message. So this morning we're going to look at the suffering servant in the garden of Gethsemane. We're going to look at three or four different things about that. But I want you to first see this morning the trauma of the Gethsemane garden. Now think about Gethsemane's trauma. Uh, we hear that, you know, hospitals have trauma units, a place where people go when they've experienced they had great injuries and all of that. But Gethsemane was the trauma center in the life of the Lord Jesus. But I want to tell you, because of that, nevertheless, Gethsemane is the trauma center in the life of me and you as we gather here this morning. We see there the trauma of the sorrow of the Lord Jesus. Look what the Bible says here in verse 36. Then cometh Jesus with them unto a place called Gethsemane and saith unto his disciples, Sit ye here while I go and pray yonder. And he took with him Peter and the two sons of Zebedee and began to be sorrowful and very heavy. What did we read over there in Isaiah chapter number 53? That he was a man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. And what we saw over there 700 years before it happened is happening right here before our eyes as we read in the 26th chapter of Matthew this morning. The trauma, <coughs> excuse me, of the sorrow of the Lord Jesus. The Bible says that he began to be very sorrowful. Now, remember on the Mount of Transfiguration, he took Peter, James, and John. There was people that had been following him. But Jesus is now going to this place and the number that's with him uh, uh, had begun to dwindle. And the Bible says in verse number 38 that he began to be very sorrowful. Verse number 39, look what the Bible says. And he went a little farther and fell on his face. Jesus had already come a long way, had he not? I mean, he had born to this virgin over there in Bethlehem. Because of the danger imposed upon him by Herod the Great, they had to flee down into Egypt. And at the point in time, they moved back up to Nazareth. And then Jesus went over to Galilee and began to minister and did his miracles and all of that. But the time had come that he had to make his way to Jerusalem. He had come a long way. He had already did a lot. He had already experienced a lot. He had already healed a lot of people. He had already raised people from the dead. But thank God this morning the Bible says that his mission was done, that he went a little farther. I want to say something about that this morning. Hallelujah, praise God. He didn't stop when the stopping could have been good. But at the appointed time, he went on and on and went a little farther all the way to the cross. Now you may be sitting here this morning and you say, I've done a lot for the Lord. I'm going to tell you, I've served the Lord with gladness over these years and I believe it's time for me just to sit back and rest on my laurels but I want to share something with you Jesus Christ didn't do that he went a little farther what's he asking from us this morning wherever we are he's saying go on a little farther do something for the glory of God and when you do that God will take that and work it out just like he did in the life of the Lord Jesus for his glory and for our good. You want to see people saved this morning? Go on a little farther. You want to see somebody experience the life of Christ this morning? Go on a little farther. You want to see a disciple made? Matter of fact, he didn't tell us to make believers. He said make disciples. You want to see that happen? Go on a little
out of father. Go into those places that are uncomfortable. Go into those places where people may not be look and smell and act like we do. They may not be of the same socioeconomic status we are. Wherever you are this morning, go on a little farther for the glory of God. That's what Jesus did. Verse 39 says he went on a little farther. The trauma of that sorrow that he was experiencing. But there was also the trauma of loneliness. The Bible says, And he cometh unto the disciples and findeth them asleep, and saith unto Peter, What? Could you not watch with me one hour? You know, there's a time when thousands were following Christ. Thousands. When he was feeding them. But then it got tough and they began to dwindle. The Bible says that they began to turn away from him. You know what? He gets up here in the garden, there's only 12. He goes on a little further and there's only three. And then comes back and finds all of them have fell asleep. They're not watching. The trauma of loneliness. Everybody had rejected our Savior. And he understood that and he knew exactly what was going to happen. He started with uh, those crowds. He had dropped down to 12. But now he's all by himself. There might be somebody here this morning, some widow, some person that you've had a great tragedy in your life, whether that's relationally or because of, the, uh, because of death. And you think I'm all alone and nobody understands. I want to tell you this morning, Jesus understands. He's been there and he's experienced exactly what you're experiencing. And the good, the good news is, what does he do about that? Well, the Bible says that he uh, went on a little further and he fell on his face and prayed saying, Oh, my father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. You, you know the key this morning to overcoming the tragedies of life, the loneliness of life, uh, uh, the, the betrayals in life? Nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. Jesus understood that regardless of what was going on in his life, regardless of what the decisions other people around him were making, the best possible outcome could only take place as he submitted to the will of the Father. So it wasn't what I wanted to do, not uh, what the world may claim that uh, needs to be done, but what the Father had set him out, that mission, the will of the Father, was the best possible thing he could do to bring about the best possible outcome in the situation that he's in. So number one, Jesus understands where you are. But number two, Jesus is the answer for the problem for where you are. We follow his example. And God can then begin to work. Nevertheless, not my will but thy be done. The trauma of that loneliness. There was the trauma of the cup that he was about to drink. What did he say there in verse 39? Let this cup pass from me. me nevertheless, not as I will but thou, uh, but as thou wilt. I've often thought about this. I've even preached about it here many times. What was in that cup? As Jesus saw that cup and he said, Father, if it's possible, let it pass from me. Uh, well, the Bible doesn't specifically say 
But I, I believe if we take the whole of Scripture and, and use our imagination, we can come up with some things that probably was in that cup. When Jesus looked in that cup, he probably saw the sin of the world. Romans chapter 5 verse 12, Whereas by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon all men, for all have sinned. Uh, that would tell us that when Jesus looked at that cup, he saw the sin of the world from Adam to the last sinner that would be saved by the grace of God. Everyone in between, when Jesus looked, he saw the murders, he saw the genocide, he saw the lies, he saw the betrayal, he saw the, the, uh, the, the wickedness of man that they could inflict upon one another. All of that was in that cup. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus saw sin in all its horror. He saw sin for how it really is. I would say something like this. I don't believe we see sin today the way Jesus saw it in the Garden of Gethsemane. Our minds and our hearts have been seared by the culture, by our own wickedness, by everything that's going. Our moral values have been so warped in America that people don't understand the horror of this thing called sin. Sin destroys, sin kills, sin separates, and we need to see it just the way Jesus sees it. When we're not seeing it, it don't take away the misery. People still die, people still betrays. And the Lord Jesus saw what sin could do, and he saw that in that cup. He saw the suffering uh, 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 that he was going to go through in that cup. He saw that God was going to uh, reject him and turn his back on him, and he would be hanging on that cross alone. And that's the real suffering that Jesus went through. Sure, there was the physical suffering. Sure, there was the beatings and all of that. And I don't want to make light of that. But the real suffering that Jesus would go through was that separation from the Father. And he saw that separation. This son, who had been perfectly united as one with the Father for all eternity, would for the first time face separation. Now, how many of you ever left home for the first time? Amen, like going away. I remember when I went in the Marine Corps. I mean, here I am, I graduate high school, I take my little trip to the beach, I come back home, the next thing you know, I'm at Paris Island, South Carolina, away from mom and daddy for the first time. Now, I'm going to tell you, you get homesick. And anybody that's ever experienced homesickness understands that it's different than anything you've ever experienced in your life. And it's sickness. I mean, you, your heart's just heavy and you, you long for home. Will you stop and think about that? Jesus had been home in heaven with his Father from eternity past. And here he finds himself totally separated from the Father, away from home for the first time in all eternity by himself. And he saw that in that cup. He saw the sacrifice. How could he not? We're at the Passover here, and we, you know, it's all laid out right there together, uh, the slaughtering of the lambs, but here's one that's going to be slaughtered uh, for, the, for the sins of the world, for the suffering of the world, and he's going to be separated from the Father. But I'm going to tell you something, church, and this right here ought to make you shout. If this don't make you shout, then you might need to get saved this morning because not only did he see all of that, the sin, the suffering, uh, the sacrifice, and the separation, he saw my salvation, and he saw your salvation in the bottom of the cup. And that's what allowed him to say, nevertheless, not my 
God will be done. Because when he looked into that cup, he did see all the horrors. But what he saw right there in the bottom of the cup was one day a man named Ed Collins, as a little boy, would call on the name of the Lord Jesus and be saved. He saw Donna in that cup. He saw Jim in that cup. And every person that here today that's born into the family of God, he saw your salvation in the bottom of that cup and that drove him to go right through the Garden of Gethsemane all the way to the cross of Calvary and through the resurrection. And now he sits at the right hand of the Father and makes intercession for you and I. He saw all of that. He saw that mom and daddy that was beating that child and and getting drunk on Saturday night and spending all the money getting saved by the grace of God. And now little boy, little girl's got a mama and got a daddy. He saw a marriage that was on the rocks and uh, there had been infidelity and there had been all of this stuff that was ripping that thing apart and all of a sudden one of them got saved and a marriage was saved. Listen, he saw nations that were being torn apart and because a great revival broke out, that nation was brought back together and they started following the Lord again and a nation was restored and revived. Why? Because he saw salvation at the bottom of that cup and that's my salvation, that's your salvation. It was paid for starting right here in the Garden of Gethsemane, the suffering servant in the Garden of Gethsemane. There was treachery there. In verses 47 through 50, you know the story. And while he yet spake, Judas, one of the twelve, came, and with him a great multitude with swords and staves from the chief priests and elders of the people. Now he that had betrayed him gave them a sign, saying, Whomsoever I shall kiss, the same as he, hold him fast. There's people today still betraying the Lord Jesus. And I'm going to say this and I'm going to move on to my last point and we're going to be done. Most of the time it comes from those who are closest to them. Amen. I don't want to be that one that betrays the Lord Jesus. Oftentimes I am. The treachery that's in the garden kissed him and as he kissed him the betrayal took place you think about that for about 30 years and it'll blow your mind amen we see the tragedy of that garden of Gethsemane there in verse number 55 Jesus said in that same hour said Jesus to the multitudes are you come out as against a thief with swords and staves for to take me I sat daily with you teaching in the temple and you laid no hold on me. Verse 56 says this was all done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. Do you remember over there in the, the 50, I started to say the gospel of Isaiah. Boy, that's about, that's about the truth, ain't it? <laughs> Isaiah 53, the Bible says, For it pleased the Father to bruise him. You see, oftentimes today we think it was, people say it, and I understand what they're meaning when they say this. It was my sin, it was your sin that put Jesus on the cross. That's not right. God the Father put Jesus on the cross. It was his plan and his will from the beginning, and it pleased him. It pleased him. Why? Because the tragedy of Gethsemane was overcome because God the Father knew that Jesus would get up again. 
I mean, that's been, that's been the story of the Scripture throughout the, throughout the Bible, ain't it? Why was it that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son? Because he, he knew Isaac could rise from the dead. Why is it that God the Father could sacrifice his son? Because he knew that that wasn't the end, that there would be a resurrection take place. And as we gathered this morning, and as we talk about this suffering servant in the Garden of Gethsemane, we must understand and know that that was the last time the Lord Jesus Christ will ever suffer. So the question is, have you truly looked at this road that Jesus walked? up this hill called Calvary and then truly made a decision that you're going to follow him down that path. You see, the Bible says we're to take up our cross and follow him. Follow him. Follow him. Like Judas, have we betrayed him? Have we betrayed him with words that came out of our mouth? Or have we betrayed him with words that did not come out of our mouth? Say, Keith, what do I need to do about that? Well, you need to get saved this morning. And then you can partake of the Lord's Supper as one with the body of Christ. Paul said it like this over there in 1 Corinthians. Let a man so examine himself. So I don't know what's going on in your life. Only you do. You could be going through suffering this morning or tragedy this morning or difficulties of life this morning that are no fault of your own whatsoever but if you're carrying that burden when God himself has said cast it on me then to you that's sin because you're taking what rightfully belongs to God and holding on to it yourself and that includes suffering so whatever it is this morning hearts and minds clear